We met here for the purpose of worship, and certainly worship consists of a lot of things, not the least of which is prayer. So don't forget our prayer list to my left. Feel free to get one and use it. Uh, we're going to first, however, have silent prayer. So uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer and remember one another and remember our church service. Let us pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, Kenneth, if you would please come and lead us in a song.
Thank you, Kenneth. Thank you all for that fine singing. Again, we're going to have Wednesday. I did not get to have my tooth or root pulled. The dentist didn't think it was the thing to do with the shingles that I've got. And it's not getting any better, so you need to pray a little harder, harder, harder. But uh, uh, So we'll have uh, Bible study and prayer meeting on Wednesday. Again, 6.30 our prayer meeting, 7 o'clock our Bible study, and we're going to be studying the doctrine of giving. I've been promising that for the folks on the podcast and haven't put it on there. We do have it on the website, but not on the podcast. So we'll, I've kind of redone it a little bit, and uh, we'll uh, work on that Wednesday night. So Wednesday, 6.30 and 7 o'clock. All right, uh, so much for announcements. Again, I would reiterate, don't forget to get your prayer list and use your prayer list. And don't forget to pray for our nation and one another. So, uh, Kenneth, if you would, please come and lead us in another song. Lead us in a song. Hymn number 141, let's stand and sing all three verses.
Amen. Thank you, Kenneth. Alright, now we're going to pause for a moment for another aspect of worship, which is giving. Uh, please understand it is an aspect of worship, and we have uh, a lesson on Wednesday night on giving, but uh, I'm going to turn the chart on, in case somebody has forgotten we have a chart, but uh, it tells us a little bit about giving because there are two chapters in the Bible. As you can see there, 2 Corinthians 8, 12, and 8, uh, 9, 7, uh, that talk about giving as far as a synopsis is concerned. It's important for us to understand you are to uh, uh, give only if you can do it cheerfully. And of course, you can't give if you don't have anything to give. So that assumes you have something to give. But uh, in the event... Uh, you don't have something to give. Well, according to the scripture, you can still give because it's a grace matter. In other words, if you, it's the want to that's important. So keep that in mind. We'll cover all that Wednesday night in a great amount of detail. All right, now let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. We'll have a moment of silent prayer. You rebound as necessary and also uh, uh, use that time to to give in the privacy of your mind should you want to give but you don't have something to give. It's that important. So with that said, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and to worship, particularly now as we think about giving. I want to ask a very special blessing upon both the gift and the giver. Now guide us and direct us throughout the rest of our service. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, uh, last week we had a special on 4th of July, and uh, we uh, had earlier started the doctrine of suffering, so I thought, well, I better go back and pick it up, because I hadn't finished or got anywhere near through the doctrine of suffering, though we did have a, a lesson on the first part. So we've had part one, now we're going to look at part two, and... Uh, I know you've used First John one nine already, and you're ready to, to be taught. So let's go ahead with our lesson plan. I'm going to again do a bit of review, and then we're going to pick up new material. I'm getting close to talking about Daniel, who is a good example of someone who suffered, and also Nebuchadnezzar, someone who suffered. So suffering is physical or mental pain. Suffering might manifest itself in loss of health, wealth, friends, family, or guilt reaction, psychosis, etc. So suffering is temporary or permanent loss of happiness or mental tranquility. 
<coughs> tranquility. Excuse me. There are two general reasons for suffering. To get an unbeliever to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Uh, and then secondly, to get a believer to move to the next level of spiritual maturity. All right, both the unbeliever and believer suffer in time, but only the unbeliever suffers in eternity. And we looked at several scriptures there, like Revelation twenty fifteen, Revelation twenty one four, Hebrews twelve six, reading all the way through verse twelve eleven. So judgment for discipline in the case of the believer can be changed to judgment for blessing by simply following the protocol plan of God, recognizing that all of that that comes from God is His will and thus is, in fact, a blessing. Though we may from time to time wonder about that when we are suffering. All right, so the believer needs only to name his or her sin back to God as we saw. And again, discipline will turn to blessing. We noted that in 1 Corinthians 11, 31 and 32. We spent a little time on 1 John 1, 8 and 9 explaining uh, 1, 7 and how it related to 1, 8 and how it related to 1, 9, you may recall. Then the believers can receive suffering then for either discipline or safe suffering for blessing. And we often refer to the former as deserved suffering. And the latter as undeserved suffering, although certainly from God's divine viewpoint, both are deserved. So discipline type suffering is designed to get believers to either rebound or get hot for the word of God. To name a sin or give up false concepts. And we observe that in Hosea chapter 8 verses 7 and 8, uh, where you saw Israel was swallowed up now because she is among the nations like a worthless thing because they had rebelled against God, uh, just as we will see in the case of even Gentile nations like the one uh, that Nebuchadnezzar was responsible for uh, over in the Middle East, if you will. And we'll get more to, into that as we go along. Then we have noted in Galatians 6, 7, Noted that we're not to be deceived. God isn't mocked. Whatever we sow will indeed be reaped. And we also noted in Matthew 5.45 that He causes it to, to the sun to shine on both the just and the unjust, the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now we also got into looking at ten reasons a believer suffers. And I'll hit those quickly. First of all, to glorify God in the angelic conflict. And we spent a little time there talking about the angelic conflict. Certainly the book of Job is full of information about suffering. Job's problem, you'll recall, as I noted last week, was that he uh, questioned God. And we all do that from time to time. But when we do, we're out of line and uh, need to understand that He is the one in charge. So the second reason is to learn self-discipline. Uh, Hebrews 5.8 we noted, Though He were a son, learned He obedience by the things which He suffered, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Uh, because He came into the world, He rejected His deity, and accepted the limitations of His humanity. 
and he had to learn by suffering. Very interesting concept. And thirdly, to demonstrate the sufficiency of God and to control certain types of personality. Paul was the ultimate in that particular example where he had asked three times to have his particular malady, which was a demon authorized by God, to walk around beating him about the head and shoulders, causing him trouble in his ministry. But it was a divine plan, and God told him why. He said, that's because you have so much doctrine, uh, you need to be shaped up by a little discipline. Uh, In fact, a lot of discipline, as we noted in Scripture. And then, of course, to help others, the fourth one, the fourth reason for suffering, to help us empathize with others who are suffering. In other words, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who comforts us in all our troubles. And then, fifthly, to learn the value of doctrine. We noted that in Psalm 119. You can look at several passages there, but not the least of which is Against verse 67, reading through verse 72. And that's where Israel was on their way to Babylon uh, to be under the rulership of Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, they were being abused. And they, they often talked about how they loved the Lord as they were on their way for future suffering. Excuse me, the sixth reason was to illustrate God's message to God's people. And we observed that again in the book of Hosea. Uh, And I gave you this story about poor old Hosea and his wife Gomer. As I read verse 2 all the way through verse 5. And that had to be a horrendous problem for poor Hosea. And God told him why. He said, you're going to have to go get your wife and she's going to be unfaithful to you and she's going to become a prostitute and you're going to have to go to the city square and buy her back. Uh, and you have children by her. And uh, even though she, of course, is way out of line, and he, he said, well, i just let that happen to you, Hosea, as a prophet of God. Because I wanted you to know how I feel when you go astray. When you don't comply with my rules and my regulations. Uh, it's, a, it's a terrible thing. And uh, hopefully you can imp- I can tell you this and have this happen to you so we get some empathy. And then the seventh reason was to develop patience and reward in eternity. First uh, Peter chapter 1 verse 7 and 8. Uh, though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with inexpressible, glorious joy. Uh, and of course, that from time to time is comforting. As is Romans 5.3, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because we know the suffering, that suffering produce, excuse me, <clears throat> produces perseverance. And then the eighth reason to eliminate pride and to relate all things instead to God's grace. And we saw that uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 24 where it gets more specific about the problems that poor old Paul was, was uh, encountering. It tells all the things that had happened to him and he was the guy who wrote as we noted last week 
depending on how you count, two-thirds of the New Testament. But uh, reading of Second Corinthians eleven twenty-four, you see the really bad things that happened to the poor old boy, reading all the way through verse 30. And I'm going to read those because they per- certainly are indicative of what might happen uh, in the case of anyone, even probably the greatest believer in the world. Uh, it says, five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and who do I not, or excuse me, and I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And then the ninth reason. To eliminate a believer's arrogance and bad decisions. Notice Matthew 7, 1 and 2. Judge not lest you be judged, for with what judgment ye judge shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet it will be measured to you again. And then the tenth reason to witness for the Lord. He says, We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we are alive, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that His life may be revealed in our mortal body. Alright, and that's just about where we stopped in our study of Part 1, Doctrine of Suffering. So before we, uh, as I said last week, we conclude our suffering, I want to provide an anecdote from Scripture describing an arrogant king. I think it speaks a thousand words. And I will one of these days teach the book of Daniel. Uh, I was looking at it most recently as I thought about poor old Daniel as someone who suffered. You know, Daniel was one of uh, uh, several people who was carried over to Babylon uh, in the, in the last dispersion of 586, where he and uh, 40 or so others uh, were taken over, and certainly included Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because they were central characters who are mentioned in the Bible. And uh, they were, of course... Uh, uh, young men in the court. They were very privileged. They were men who uh, were uh, children of leaders in the land. And you'll remember the story about uh, this was in 586 when this was done. You had three dispersions. You had five. You had 606. You had 597, and then you had 586. And all of these dispersions occurred because it was a fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy because they had turned against the Lord. Many of them had, not to say that Daniel had. 
they were young men and they were, were carried to Babylon where it was there that uh, in chapter 1 we have the story that is chapter 1 of the book of Daniel. We have the story of uh, uh, they being, first of all, uh, good Jews and they were told they were going to eat in the dining hall, if you will, and eat the Babylonian food. And they said, no, uh, Daniel, being the speaker, I don't think that we are. If you would please, uh, we would like to have our kosher food, and uh, which was bare bones, if you will, according to the Scripture. And uh, we will prosper. And they thought, oh, they're not going to prosper eating that, that little bit of diet. I always remember that story quite well because I had a, I had a representative, a manufacturing representative. He had a PhD in physics and was representing our analytical product line in Israel. And uh, Tabak was his name, Dr. Tabak. And he came over to the house and I took him out to eat. And I had to take him into his room first to see uh, what he could find to eat there. Actually, that came later. I took him to the Nighthawk. It's coming back to me. I went to the Nighthawk when it was downtown. And uh, he asked the wait, waiter or waiters, I can't remember what it was, but he said, I would like for you to just bring me some vegetables and raw vegetables. So he left, and I said, uh, don't you want some wine with that, uh, uh, Dr. Tabak? And he said, no, uh, I can't eat that because I don't know what you Gentiles were thinking when you prepared the food. And I thought, uh, oh, okay. And uh, then we went to his hotel room, and he opened up his suitcase, and he had all sorts of fresh vegetables in there that he would eat. But he would only eat the, the, something kosher. And that's what Daniel, in essence, said. And the, the three characters were, four characters were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. And they were the test group. And so they ate the foods, the kosher foods, instead of eating the lavish food of the, of the dining hall. And uh, they also were trained alongside other young men and... Uh, when they came for their evaluation, uh, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, said uh, to his school folks and to his physical therapists, I guess, uh, how did this go, you know? They said, well, look at them. They're much stronger. They're bigger. Uh, and uh, here are the test scores. They're far ahead of all of our own people. And uh, so as a result... Uh, they, the king was very much impressed with Daniel and his his uh, three companions. So uh, that's basically the first chapter of the book of Daniel. Uh, and then uh, we get to the second chapter of the book of Daniel. That's where we have this vision that I showed you last week of the giant statue which had the big head of gold. And he, uh, of course, couldn't get anybody to... Uh, he had a dream, and he saw this vision, and uh, he couldn't get anybody to tell him, first of all, what the vision was, and second of all, what it meant. 
And uh, the magicians and the enchanters came to him and said, uh, uh, I'll tell you the meaning of the dream if you'll tell me the dream. And he said, oh, anybody can do that. You tell me the dream and then you tell me the meaning of the dream. And uh, he said, well, you can't expect us to do that. He says, I'm expecting it. And uh, so angered him a great deal. And he said, he have all of the enchanters and the magicians killed. And uh, so they came and unfortunately, that's what they classified Daniel, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego as. Apparently they'd been doing some of that work there and uh, so Daniel called the three together and they all had a prayer meeting and they prayed that we could get out of this deal you know I don't want all the enchanters and magicians killed and we don't want to be killed so after the prayer meeting he talked to his leader and said take me to him I'll tell him what the dream was and I'll tell him they had prayed and asked God to reveal it and uh, I'll tell him what it he dreamed, and I'll tell him what it means. And so uh, he uh, went to see the uh, handler, and the handler went to see the king. And of course, I, got, I like the story because the handler, I call him for lack of a better term, he was the one who supervised the boys. He went in there, you know, and like you see a lot of people do, you know, in the business, you know, they want to take credit for everything. And... Uh, I found someone who can interpret the dream and even tell you what the dream is, you know. Hardy har har, you know. So he calls him in, he said, Well bring him in. So Daniel comes in and Daniel tells him what he dreamed. He describes the dream, he huge statue, you know, head of gold and uh, he he tells him what the gold head meant, you know, what the arms meant and so forth, all the way down to the feet. And at the feet of, feet, of course, you know, it's an eschatological thing because there's a stone that rolls down the hill and uh, he tells later that the stone that rolling down the hill to strike the feet of the statue because it's, it's, it's every one of the empires that did in fact occur as time passed by. And then the last one had this stone that rolled down the hill and that was Jesus Christ who strikes the bottom of the statue, and of course that's a reference to the last days. And uh, so he explains all that and becomes quite a hero, and that's basically chapter 2. And then in chapter 3, Daniel is apparently sent off, as best we can tell, because he's not mentioned because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are the central characters in the Lord Jesus Christ. But uh, uh, that's the story where they had the all the musicians showed up, you know, you know, and they play their songs and they sing and they have this, this great celebration and everybody's supposed to stand up and bow at a certain time, you know, and if they don't, they'll be sent into either prison or their house will be made a dung hill, which was very common. And in addition to that, uh, uh, there's this fiery furnace involved. And uh, <clears throat> I always think about that when I'm thinking about when I work at Safeway. And I was a, a, a sacker boy first, of course, and I finally worked my way up to the vegetable peeler, 
you know. And uh, that was a good deal because you were back in an air-conditioned area. You didn't have to go out and sack groceries, etc. But uh, uh, it was uh, there was a great big furnace in the back of the grocery store. This grocery store, little background, had burned down several uh, months before and been rebuilt. And uh, you put all the old boxes into the furnace, you know, to burn them up. And we had boxes stacked up there very often, as high as three feet and deep as six feet. Uh, nobody had time to go back and burn the boxes. Well, I had a little time on my hand, so I went back there to burn the boxes. Well, those boxes, somebody had put right up against the door. You had this great big iron door, you know, that opened up, you know, and someone had just filled it up, and uh, it blew out on me and blew out on the... Uh, the the box heap and started a fire and of course now the background is that store had burned down <laughs> not too long ago and so there I was and so I rather than calling anybody fire <laughs> I ran and grabbed a big bucket of water out of the uh, where I was trimming the grocery of uh, the vegetables and all and ran back there and threw it on there and of course you know what happens when you throw water on a fire you know smoke like you wouldn't believe began to go out into the grocery store, you know. And there I am, this young high school kid, and uh, uh, I almost got fired. That would have been the, that was my first job. Not really, I'd worked as a tenor's helper at one time in the summer, but uh, I, I almost, you know, bit the bullet, you know. But uh, he was kind enough finally to understand that I also did a good thing by putting the fire out rather than call the fire department and so forth, but probably should have called the fire department immediately, you know, but I was so embarrassed. Now, that's all the story you're going to have. I'm going back to Daniel. Are you ready for Daniel? All right, Daniel and the... No, it's not Daniel. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because Daniel's... We don't know where he was. He was probably on a mission. They'd sent him off somewhere. And... uh uh, the, the, the boys went out to the celebration and they didn't stand up when they were supposed to stand up, you know, because they weren't going to bow to any other God. And that's basically what the standing up was. They were s- celebrating the problem. Well, uh, they got a punishment assigned to, assigned to them, though the boys were respected. And, Nebuchadnezzar, it wasn't Nebuchadnezzar at that time, but it was a substitute for him. I guess Nebuchadnezzar maybe was with Daniel. I don't know. We're going to study that one of these days. I just can't stand not to. But the point, the point is uh, uh, they were put into this furnace, and the king was lamenting the fact that, oh, my gosh, we're going to put these guys who have done so well here into this fiery furnace. And so they put them in the furnace, and they lit the furnace, and they lit it up hotter than it had ever been before. And apparently there was a window of some sort in the furnace, and they were able to look inside there, and they thought, well, they'll be burned to pieces, you know. Shame, oh, shame, oh. But uh, instead, they saw not just three men in the furnace, but they saw four men in the furnace, and one of them looked like the Son of God. And how they knew what the Son of God looked, I don't know, but they did. Look, look. And everybody came to look through the window. And so then they opened the door to let them out. 
and you couldn't even smell the fire on their clothes. That's uh, and it had been heated. I forget how many times, four times more than it had ever been heated before. But uh, quite a witness, but quite also a punishment. In other words, quite a suffering uh, for those guys, if you will. Just as Daniel had suffered when he was sent over there, and chances are he was made a eunuch at that time uh, because the, the, the keeper was called the keeper of the eunuchs. But uh, uh, suffering goes not only with the, the ne'er-thee-wells, but it also is part and parcel of those who are uh, what we might call a mature believers. So we shouldn't uh, think uh, so ill of suffering as being something unique. Uh, and then I might mention the fourth chapter. Fourth chapter deals with, there are 12 chapters to the book of, of Daniel, by the way. Colonel Theme taught six of them. And then he stopped. And I know why he stopped, because I did 12 and it was a real booger bear. But uh, uh, I've done all 12. And uh, have an expanded translation. I think I gave Don one of them at one time. Expanded translation of all of those particular books. And, uh, of course, and, and I have an introduction to the book of Daniel also written. But uh, that particular book uh, deals with uh, uh, another vision. Nebuchadnezzar is being tormented. And he gets this vision of a tree, and uh, there he is with the tree, and uh, he needs to know about it. And and uh, when he calls in all the enchanters again, the only one that can really do the job is Daniel. And Daniel comes in and tells him, "Oh, King, I wish this was about your enemy rather than about you." But here's the deal. Uh, and he tells him about the fact that the, the tree has a lot of beautiful birds in it. And they're prospering. And it's, oh, it's just huge and beautiful. It looks like one of Ken Harrell's house, you know. Just great old big, all properly trimmed and everything. And uh, But uh, he says, shame on, shame on. I wish this vision had something to do with your enemies. And then he goes on to tell him that you again are the tree and you have uh, bragged about how everything wonderful is. You bragged in chapter 2. You're bragging in chapter 4. and uh, uh, But you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. But you're going to suffer for a reason and that's one of the reasons that we listed in, in our particular listing this morning which we started last week. But uh, he goes on to tell him that uh, it's uh, going to happen to you what happened to the tree. And then he begins to give him instructions with reference to the events that are going to occur. He says, you're going to go out into the field. And there's no sense in looking in your lesson plan. This is right off the top of my head. But, uh, I mean, you can if you want to, excuse me, <laughs> read all you want, you know, bring your books in here or whatever. But anyway, the point being, uh, the uh, you're going to go out into the field and you're going to be like a cow. You're going to be like a steer. You're going to be like a, uh, an animal. Kind of reminds me of, uh, oh, the guy that was the great and wonderful manufacturer of tools, Hughes Tool Company, Howard Hughes, 
Howard Hughes, you remember, uh, became infatuated with himself. He became a germaphobe. Uh, he had to go into a room and stay all of his life. Couldn't have any light in the room. Uh, uh, worship his own urine. Uh, his nails grew long. His hair grew long. And he was very, very wealthy. Married a very beautiful gal, movie star for 13 years, but I don't think she was around him much because he couldn't stand anybody to be there, only one person to bring his food because he was a germaphobe. And uh, uh, that's having the long hair is a description in the Bible. Having the long fingernails is a description in the Bible that happened to Nebuchadnezzar. And he went out in the field and he thought he was an animal. He was suffering from zoanthropy, if you will. And uh, he was eating the grass of the field. And uh, he said, you're going to be there for seven years. But then he tells him, now the good news is, is that tree is going to be cut down. That's symbol of you being cut down as the ruler. But we're going to, they're going to band it with a metal band. And I didn't know this, but I don't think it works all the time either. But it does when God wants it to work. But you band the tree and then it grows up again. But they got, it's got a chance to grow up again. And, uh, he says, you're going to be reinstated. After seven years. So after seven years, uh, he in fact was uh, put back into power. And uh, that's basically the end of that chapter because uh, he's in power again when, and here's the key, he suffered in order to develop his four spiritual laws. You remember I told you about the four spiritual laws last week? Campus Crusade, Bill Wright, Bill Bright, and so forth. A nice little easy plan of salvation. He told everybody that Daniel's man was number one, God was number one God, you know. And uh, we should all worship him in my entire kingdom. And from that time on, he became, it looked to me like in reading the book, uh, that he became a believer. Uh, so one of those reasons, of course, is the... Uh, the uh, fact that he had all of this suffering in order that he could become a, quote, a very important uh, evangelist, if you will. All right, so much then for uh, a brief review of the first four chapters of the book of Daniel. Now let's flip on over to uh, page six, and I get to read to you. And I'm sure you probably already read it by now, but the point is, it's been in the book a long time in the Bible. But, well, let's just uh, read a little bit about it, and I'll comment maybe a little bit more. It's, we're going to chapter 4 now. This is an illustration of the king acknowledging God. So this is a little foreview of what's going to happen, the first paragraph. And then you see the picture of the the uh, head of gold and the breast arms and silver and it tells you over here on the right side which I've already done I did that week before last to show you what they represent these are all kingdoms that have taken place just as God said they were in the vision and Daniel made it clear so chapter 4 verse 1, 2 and 3 this will give us a little preview of what he's going to do it says King Nebuchadnezzar this is, his, this is when he became an evangelist for the Lord God of the universe. To the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world, 
May you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the highest God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. So again, he's heralding God himself uh, as a representative of God. Now let's take a look at the tree itself. All right. Chapter 4, verse 4. Vision of the great tree. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. And then I provided you a map of his great and grand kingdom. In other words, contented and prosperous, with emphasis on the word prosperous. And you can see a complete uh, a map of the Babylonian Empire uh, in your lesson plan. All right, I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. Well, this will be his second terrifying, if you will. I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Remember in the first chapter 2 dream, uh, he wouldn't even tell them what the dream was. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. So I said, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too different for you, too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. So he's very confident, based on what he'd done before, that he could do this. And he brought him in. And he said, These are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful. Its fruit abundant. And on it was food for all. In other words, I provided food for everybody in my kingdom. Look at the map. All those people, I've provided for them. Under it, the beasts of the fields found shelter, and the birds of the airs lived in its branches. From every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in my bed, I looked, and there before me was a messenger, a holy one coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, Come down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from the under it and the birds from its branches. So here's the bad news. And of course, he's already anticipated what happened and decided, God decided to put that first. In other words, the result. Now he says, but let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of earth. Zoanthropy. He thought he was an animal. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. That would be seven years. All right, the decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict. 
so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kings of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliness of men. Sounds like like Psalm 75, verse 7 and 8, doesn't it? Uh, where it says it's God who puts them up and God who pulls them down. So don't get too arrogant if you get a promotion or if you're successful. You know who told you you're successful? You know who gave you that promotion? You know who gave you that wealth? God. And God puts them up and God puts them down. And that's why I've often said there's two things that rise to the top. And I'll tell you what they are. All right, let's go. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm sorry, Belshazzar, excuse me. Tell me what it means, for none of the men, wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. But you can, because the Spirit of the Holy God is in you. Now he interprets the vision. The king knows he can do it. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, here's this wonderful statement, I like it a lot. My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. In other words, whoa, you're going to be out in the field like an animal. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, <clears throat> with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, <clears throat> providing food <clears throat> excuse me, for all, giving shelter to the beasts of the field and having nesting places in its branches for the birds of the air. You, O oh king, are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. In other words, bragamony time. Personal bragamony time. I did it, God. Not Psalm 75, verse 7 and 8, but I did it. Are you, O king, saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live like wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the king. You will be driven away from people and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It will be that then your prosperity will continue. All right, now let's look at the, division, the uh, fulfillment. The vision fulfilled, beginning in Daniel chapter 4, verse 28. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, 
Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence? He's not learning much, is he? By my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from the people and will will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone He wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. But salvation is on its way. Daniel chapter 4, beginning in verse 34, reading through verse 37. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the highest. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back His hand or say to Him, What have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored... My honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Alright, a summary. Unbelievers suffer to get them to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believers suffer in order to motivate movement toward maturity. The more doctrine in our souls, the better we can appreciate suffering. Suffering for our believers should be considered as part of our brief sojourn on the road to ultimate sanctification. Hebrews 12.11 No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. 1 Peter 1.6 In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Daniel 4.36 and 37 At the same time that my sanity was restored... My honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. So again, very similar to what happened uh, with old Daniel earlier. So in, in conclusion, I was going to take on the doctrine of sanctification, but uh, I lingered a bit, and uh, therefore we're right on schedule to, to hush 
the clock back there is a little off, but uh, uh, if I start by that clock, I'm going to finish by that clock. All right. Sorry. Okay, let's uh, go to the Lord and and, it, and let me provide a, sh- a short invitation uh, for anyone who may be without Christ, without hope, and without eternal life. Uh, of course, God had you, that is you as an unbeliever, uh, personally in mind when He went to the cross. And clearly we all need to go to the cross and and it's my view that we here have done just that. But there may be somebody out there who, either on the podcast, where we had 206 people over the next 90 days, and then we had 14, almost 15,000 take a look at our website. So uh, there's maybe a plenty out there that haven't believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, the Scripture very clearly tells us, for all have sinned and come short, of the glory of God or the wages of sin, of course, is is absolute horror. I know when my wife was teaching Sunday school to three of Rebecca's boys, one of the things that she thought was astounding to her because she had never thought about it this way. And then as when you go into Hades, you're not going to get out. I mean, we can burn our finger and say, oh my gosh, fire is awful. But we remove our finger from the flame, generally. And uh, you're not going to be able to do that if you indeed find yourself in Hades, a place of eternal punishment. So what do you got to do? Well, you don't have to do a whole lot. Why? Because Christ did a whole lot. But all you got to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. He came unto His own, but His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on His name. So right where you are, whatever you might be doing, tell God the Father, I'm believing on God the Son, and on the promise of the Word, you will be saved. Simple as that. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Now I'll pause for just just a very short minute and give you opportunity to do just that. And then I'll close with our benediction. Father, we're grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and study Your Word. Now I would ask that God the Holy Spirit would take that which I have presented, make it real, in order that we might Grow in your wonderful grace and become more like our Lord and Savior, even Jesus the Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen.